Over the past seven years, Getting Smart has been documenting the rise of artificial intelligence and its impacts on teaching, leading, and learning. We've put together a new resource combining many of our past publications, blogs, podcasts, and events, so we can better keep our finger on the pulse of the rapid advancement of this technology. Check out this new resource for a great understanding of where AI has been, how it's already impacting the classroom, and what's coming soon. We'll be updating it every couple of weeks as well, so be sure to check out the editor's note on the first page to see what new products, policies, or advancements have occurred. You can check it out at gettingsmart.com slash artificial intelligence, or you can find it at the link in the show notes. We hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, so here's our agenda for today. So we're going to do a quick AI and education intro. Tom will lead us off. We're going to jump into a couple case studies of people that are thinking about it in the field. We'll talk a little bit about policy and who is who is thinking about this. Uh, if you're in a district right now, I am sure that it's either in your mind, that's why you're on the call today, or you already have something to, to share or uh, with your, your current population of students, teachers, and parents. We'll then um, finish with two things. One is pathways. So where is AI showing up in pathways to future employment, higher education, post-secondary, et cetera? And uh, finally, just a quick slide on just leadership implications. What should we as education leaders and innovators be thinking about in the the AI-influenced and impacted world? So Tom, I'm going to hand it off to you um, after I do this quick reminder to everybody that while AI may be new for us in terms of access, AI has been around for a while. So we're it is not new in the system. It is just new because the UX, the user experience, the thing that we can access is really, really easy. So whenever people say, this is brand new, it's actually not brand new. And Netflix and Tesla and Spotify and Waze and thousands and thousands of other products and systems are using AI and have been using AI for a while. So just a reminder uh, for all of us in this, in the, as educators to help educate others in that way. In the in the spring, there was uh, some research that uh, said that kids were way out in front of uh, parents and teachers um, on using AI. And our, our anecdotal research um, in the spring uh, bore that out. Um, all the young people we talked to formally and informally were using uh, AI or had friends that were using generative AI in their schoolwork. Um, more recent summer uh, surveys, particularly those from, from down under uh, in Australia and New Zealand, uh, indicate much higher levels of usage, um, not only by students, but uh, also by teachers. The latest surveys that I've seen, in addition to this Quizlet uh, one, were um, between 65 and 75% of, of teachers um, at least beginning to to dabble. So uh, both teachers and kids are um, are thinking about and at least around the edges beginning to use uh, generative AI most frequently in writing uh, assignments. But we'll we'll talk about a lot of different uh, applications today. There are uh, a handful of organizations that are uh, that are scrambling to respond. Uh, AI for K twelve was a group that started um, three years ago and issued some useful um, early summaries. This is pre-Gen AI, uh, but more recently, the AI Education Project um, and Teach AI have have, um, started producing some useful resources. I think 
um, middle of the school year, Teach AI, which is a collaboration of Code and ISTE and others, will uh, will be a useful source for all of us. And then uh, um, Risk at the University of Chicago just spun out Data Science for All, um, a, a new coalition that's forming uh, to to promote uh, data analytics and data science in uh, particularly in secondary education. Um, okay, so we're going to jump into some case, case studies. Uh, we love inviting guests on, and um, uh, we're going to jump into three different case studies of just how people are thinking about this in their world. So, Tom, we'll do a quick introduction yeah, of I, some folks. So, Nate, I want to note that um, the, the cautions that many of you uh, added were a loss of uh, deep learning, that that AI might make kids dumb or lazy um, and and uh, reduce rather than enhance the amount of deeper learning. And, and uh, to specifically address that, we wanted to bring a couple of friends on that are using generative AI in really interesting ways to help co-author uh, experiential learning, uh, particularly client projects. So Steve Eno at uh, Da Vinci Schools has developed a very cool app uh, called Project Leo um, that they're using at their um, STEM-focused high schools in Los Angeles. I also want to welcome Steve Wallace, uh, who, who runs the Da Vinci Institute, who's on the call. And um, and similarly, Jim Newland is in Kansas City, and last year he was at Grandview uh, School District, and he, where he was coordinating uh, real-world learning for the district. And Jim was really a, an early pioneer in using um, generative AI to help students uh, create really interesting um, community-connected projects. And he'll talk about that. And then what, what hasn't gotten much attention is that AI is really going to help us better support students and better support teachers. And Dr. Kiana um, Warren from uh, the, the ED at uh, Purdue Polytechnic in Indianapolis is going to tell us about uh, her work that was both her dissertation um, and uh, an important project at Purdue Poly. So let's dive in. And Steve Eno, tell us about Leo. Yeah, happy to talk about Project Leo. Um, I, I just want to start out, um, I'm going to put in the chat a, uh, something that one of my students just emailed me last night um, about Project Leo. Um, he had an English assignment um, that he was asked about AI and education, and he ended up writing about Project Leo. So his words capture kind of the experience that he's having in my classroom. Um, we're using Project Leo um, exclusively in all my mechanical engineering pathway classes. Um, and what Project Leo is, is basically a way to bring AI into the classroom and to support a teacher who's kind of leaning into AI-enhanced pedagogy. And so I'll just put the link to our website. Feel free to try it out. Um, but the, the core kind of focus, the first feature of Project Leo, is that we take uh, the standards that either teachers identify, schools identify, or more importantly, that professionals identify uh, as skills that students need. And then we take interests uh, that students have, and we uh, put them into our um, prompt to chat GPT, and we generate personalized student projects. And so what we've noticed is that um, just within the first week of school already, um, all of my students have personalized projects that align to the specific skills that I'm trying to develop in my classroom. 
And so students come in day one and they're way more excited than they've ever been uh, to work on that, to, to learn the skills in the classroom because they're building skate parks. They are um, kind of uh, designing Mars, new Mars rovers. They're um, looking at crime scene, AI crime scene investigation. Um, so they're tackling these skills of design, of data science from uh, every different angle you can imagine. And things that I, I couldn't even imagine. So uh, ChatGPT is helping us generate these personalized projects that really get students excited um, to dive into the classroom. And so Project Leo isn't just that one feature of generating personalized projects, but it's an entire project-based learning management system uh, that we are going to continue to create new features and inject artificial intelligence um, into um, that just the process. So what I'm noticing is like material procurement um, for these projects. Um, it, it, it takes a lot of experience to know when to buy certain materials, when to do certain materials. Um, thank you, Steve Wallace just put into the chat um, uh, of kind of a, a summary video uh, for Project Leo. And uh, again, the, the our high schoolers are just doing amazing work. Um, and more importantly, as a teacher, I, I get to know my students way faster because I'm seeing exactly what they're interested in and what they're passionate about. And I've heard stories um, from my students that would take me months to normally hear about a student who spends his weeks fishing and, and wants to create these custom fishing lures for these specific situations. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there's just, it's been amazing to use Project Leo. And yeah, I have lots of examples of input. Um, so for example, one input um, that I um, put in is basically, I said, okay, this first project, you have to uh, develop your skills around design. So I talk about how uh, design is communicating your ideas, whether through computer-aided design or through sketches. Um, so I have that one sentence in there for my input. Um, and then I also have a data science input. Hey, I want you to, to use data to make decisions. So those two sentences are my input. And then the students put anything that they want to. So some of the things they put in are things like skateboarding. Uh, they may say, hey, I'm interested in crime scene investigations. Um, I'm interested in ocean um, uh, ocean. Uh, climates or ocean uh, systems. And then it spits out five, we generate five personalized projects for every query, um, along with the steps that you need to follow in order to execute on those projects. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, we, we're, we're continuing to do the prompt engineering to make it simple for teachers. Uh, we know you can, yeah, go to ChatGPT and you can come up with um, these project ideas, but more importantly, we know teachers don't have the time to do the prompt engineering themselves. So we just want to continue to make it easy and seamless for teachers to use AI tools in the classroom and to help them out um, in all aspects of implementing project-based learning. Let's dive in and, and have uh, Jim describe yep. how he did something similar slightly smaller scale um and directly in chat gpt and then uh, and then you know can make some comments on that but jim tell us um how you did this in grandview last year yeah so i went ahead i'm a, in the chat i went ahead and put my the link uh to my conversation that i had chat i put some some of the questions and the responses i got from chat gpt um you know for me it was just you know, when ChatGPT first came in, I was just playing with it, trying to ask it, you know, see what it could do for me in my position as a real world learning coordinator. My job is to try to get teachers in, you know, the public sector, you know, to understand how this fits in their classroom. And so um, one thing I had to do is I had to introduce ChatGPT to uh, Kauffman Foundation, which is here in Kansas City, because 
that's how I got it to understand its definition and what I was exactly what I was looking for for education. Um, then what really sparked it is I had teachers. I took them on a um, externship uh, to a Sideris, which is cybersecurity here in, in the Grandview area, which is phenomenal. And I had an Algebra One teacher really excited about it and wanting to know how they could, um, you know, partner up and you know maybe get some kids involved in that realm. Well, he teaches Algebra One. I said, yeah, let's do this. And I said, but let me get back to you later, because honestly, I had no idea what kind of client connected project you can do with Algebra One. So I sat down with uh, with ChatGPT and it started firing away some questions. And what I got was some some ideas that I was able to present to a teacher and um, they seemed to like it. And so I just kept hammering away the questions and narrowing down what it is we were going to be looking for um, to get that. And so that's what it did for me first. It just made me maybe smarter than what I really am because, you know, I was just a person that barely passed algebra, let alone design client connected projects for it. So that was a great start, but then you got to really support the teachers because if you can't, if you can't give the normal supports for a teacher, they're going to, it's going to drop. And so obviously a teacher wants to grade things. So I just started asking it to, you know, devise rubrics. Now there are lots of uh, uh, little formulas now I know are out there. Um, but I was just asking it to, you know, find ways to do small grading throughout this project because we want teachers to know that they're just the facilitator. And so um, when the client is going to make the final big decisions, the, the teacher kind of feels left out of how do I get grades that are required of me during class time. So we came up with different rubrics um, to grade, for example, emails. We know our kids are going to have to learn professional emails. So in that conversation, you'll see that I've asked, you know, what does even a professional email look like? And so I had it pull it up. And then obviously we can make decisions as teachers if that if we like those examples or come up with our own. But these are all starters for my teachers. Um, and so we did the emails. And then I even gave them a rubric to grading those emails. Um, everything that a teacher is going to want so that they can keep a normal class going. And then just, um, if you can, intertwine these standards. And so one other thing I, um, I did is I... I even just quickly asked uh, chat GPT, like, what are the standards for Missouri um, for the English class or for the algebra class? And so, again, I'm just trying to make the work quicker. And then, of course, I will have to look it over and, you know, make those decisions if it's giving me the right answers and if we're in the same ballpark. But this helps the teacher stay focused on, you know, on the project and I can give all the supports. And so, again, we do self-evaluations on our, on our students. And so we looked at it. We know you're going to have students that are really involved in this and do a great job. Those are easy evaluations. What about the kid who does nothing? What if the kid just is not interested? We came up with evaluations through ChatGPT on those. And so a student could actually self-evaluate, even though they did nothing, but we, we had great prompts for them to answer. And then, of course, those students can take that someday to an interview. And when someone asks them, hey, what'd you fail at? Well, here, you, here they just did a complete evaluation of a project they completely didn't do. And so we're just we're providing all those tools and we're supporting our teachers and all the logistical work. And just one more thing I'll add before I stop. Grandview, uh, Hickman, where I'm at now, we're a highly growing population of Hispanic students. We have a lot of, uh, of you know, people coming in. And so we you know we have a goal around here in the Kansas City area that by 2030, we want all our students leaving with some type of <clears throat> real world learning. And so. You know, how are we going to do that with students who are coming in and, and struggling with with the with the English language? And so I had it come up with ideas. When we come up with a client connected project, how do we include the Spanish speaking student? How do we include um, some of the students that we have? I've, you know, I had a student just come in from Aleppo. 
Um, you know, how can we do that? And so those are starters for me to sit down and, and look at the teacher and go, I know you have five students that are ELL. I've got a way to, to include it in the project. It doesn't have to be a separate project. They can be part of it in their own way. And so that's big for us right now. Jim, we super appreciate you and your leadership. You, you were really the first um, teacher um, teacher leader that, that I spotted that was using um, Gen AI in such a, a creative, thoughtful way to help students um, brainstorm projects, shape projects, better define outcomes for projects, work with teachers to build rubrics uh, that would assess their projects. So um, thanks for your leadership in Kansas City. You know, um, I know you got to run in a bit, but would love to have you just comment on that. We, we looked at a sort of a direct application of of Gen AI. Uh, why a, a project app on top of Gen AI? What what would you how would you summarize what Leo does to sort of build on on the work that uh, Jim was doing? Uh, yeah, what we found is some teachers are, uh, yeah, some teachers are afraid to use Gen AI uh, for various reasons. Um, and Project Leo just makes it so that you wouldn't even know that you're using Gen AI. It just does it in the background for you. And so um, it's just a way to make it so that like there's already a ton of classroom apps that you have to go to and bounce around to. Um, we really wanted to make it so that a teacher, if they wanted to, could just go to one place and they could manage every aspect of project-based learning um, from the project generation to the students posting their progress. So um, uh, getting feedback from both teachers and professionals, um, as well as capturing a portfolio of work. Um, so we wanted to make it so that the entire um, process is all captured in one place uh, in a way that's easy for teachers to use, easy for students to use. Um, so we just wanted to make sure it's not like jump around to four different websites Oh, and then also put it into Canvas. And so um, we just wanted to make sure that uh, the user experience is great for teachers and, and they don't even need to do any prompt engineering or have to think about generative AI. It's just making their life easier um, on the front end and the back end um, yeah. of generating ideas uh, and supporting students through feedback. Steve, I also appreciate the way you're coming at this. Your design framework was sort of Ikigai that you're keeping in mind uh, student interest, um, their, their capabilities, uh, some of their their learning needs, and so um, Darlene uh, noted that that NIFTY's programs have always been by driven by student interest. I, I think that's one thing Leo does um, that it sort of builds in um, student interest, student learning goals, uh, student competencies, um, so it sort of levels up and makes project authoring uh, even that much more effective. Is that is that fair? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, we want to make sure all the conversations I have with my students and the projects they're generating this year is, hey, I want you to develop your own Ikigai, your reason for being in the world. And I also want you to be able to get paid for it. And so I want to make sure it aligns with problems that the world needs solved and that uh, you can see a clear business path forward. Um, regardless of if you're in mechanical engineering class or English class or whatever class you're in, I want to make sure you're generating your Ikigai and understanding how you can uh, build a sustainable career uh, through this classwork that they're doing and they're building this portfolio. So yeah, the goal is students no longer have to go to college if they don't want to. They have a portfolio of uh, career work that they can immediately start to get a job from uh, right after high school. Steve and Jim, we super appreciate your your leadership. You guys jumped in really quick and really early, and you 
have done some really uh, important formative work. You, you've been an early case study for um, for deeper learning leaders in, in education for, uh, for for six months. So we appreciate that. We want to jump to um, to to the ed leader frame and and think quickly about how uh, AI can help us better support learners and teachers. And um, Kiana at uh, Purdue Polytechnic, you've been thinking about how to use AI as a as an analysis tool to um, to, to better support uh, recruit and retain teachers. Tell us about that work. Yes, I'm happy to speak on that. Um, I love the phrase that data is the new gold because it really emphasizes the value that data provides to solving some of the large problems that we face. Um, and if you look at uh, the research, as, as was shared before, um, AI, artificial intelligence, predictive modeling, all of these things aren't new but they're underutilized in education to solve some of the big problems we have. So one of, um, and my dissertation research was on this specifically, so I got a really nice deep dive into it. Um, but one of the big areas that we all share as an issue is teacher retention, teacher talent, teacher shortage, all those um, things we know are necessary for um, a great education for our students. And so um, in my research, um, I sought out using um, research from the National Center uh, for Education Research, which is um, provides so much data for free, um, and it's just done with such high quality. Um, but basically, I went and built five machine learning models um, that were able to predict teacher retention over 90% every single time. Um, and so I learned from this model that using that data, we can really get some real-time interventions for what's causing teachers to leave the classroom. And those algorithms can be easy, easily used by um, school leaders, administrators to make some changes to what they're currently doing in real time to ensure that teachers are getting what they need. Um, and uh, uh, additionally, I was able to see because um, what's what's so unique about teacher retention and things like that, it's not just one thing that caused teachers to not to be retained, but the research shows that it was just an intertwining of various factors um, that look very different for each person. And um, so that was really cool and promising research. And what we're what we're doing with that now is applying the strategies that were used to build these models to teach children, teach our students, that you can use these same machine learning models to solve the problems that are important to them, whether it's climate change or social justice issues. Um, and so that that's my research there in a nutshell. Thanks. And um, it makes me makes me think is when we, we talk about teacher retention and the use of AI tools and predictive models to do that. Thanks, Kiana. And then all the comments are, are in the in the chat are, are all around. How do you how are we centering learners? So when we talk about teacher retention, it's about how do we keep great teachers working with students? And when we talk about all the um, the project based personalized project based and the client connected projects. It's all about creating learning experiences where um, I, I wrote in the chat where we can hyper-personalize the, the learning experience, but still connect it out into the community and still have supportive teachers around that are helping guide them in ways that allow them to the, the learners to reach their goals. So appreciate all uh, three of you uh, as experts on this and your willingness to lead the way and dive deep. So we're going to continue on here. And just as a reference, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tools that are surfacing for um, AI in both learning experiences and assessment, uh, um, uh, instruction, curriculum design, et cetera. So 
there is a lot going on. Uh, it's a little bit hard to sift through all of them. And I think encouraging um, experimentation in the classrooms, especially for your early adopters, where it's within policy and practice is going to be important. Uh, it seems that almost every ed tool or ed tech platform is surfacing some sort of UX that is using a generative AI tool. So it's only going to uh, uh, continue to emerge. Teacher practice and LX design and assessment all will become easier. So whether it's course and unit lesson design, instructional coaching, we haven't talked much about the instructional coaching piece, but we've seen some examples of where teacher practice is getting informed by an AI uh, coach or assistant, grading, tracking, data analysis, um, the, the Project Leo with project co-authoring, and, and like I said, hyper-personalized and adaptive learning. I should all have learners better meet the outcomes that, that we're hoping for them and that they hope for themselves. So one of the, the caveats that, that I have been hearing as we talk about this, and we've talked about it internally at Getting Smart, but also in the ecosystem is there, there will be a human tendency to use AI to, to make practices that don't serve learners well, way more efficient. And so I think the caution that all of us who are on this call today have to, to uh, think about is, we can't just make bad practices more efficient using AI because AI certainly will allow us to do that. We really have to innovate and talk about the things that we've been talking about. But I think there will be some tug in this direction. So we're gonna talk a little bit about policy because um, many of you are in districts or in organizations um, or, in, or in universities, et cetera, that are thinking about like, what are the policies and practices in this brave new world that we're entering into? So we wanted to give uh, a few examples of this so we, we've been thinking about it in a couple different ways is this idea of practices. So what's actually happening on the ground in schools, in classrooms, at universities? And what we're seeing is massive experimentation within the limits of whatever the, the universities and the organizations have um, applied. Definitely some work on acceptable use policies. So what are the rules for students? And some are more restrictive than others. And then certainly disclosure is when learners and teachers uh, are using AI, how are we disclosing that we are using generative AI as a support tool for us to augment our own learning? And so we see these three different areas as interesting possibilities uh, of uh, things to think about for your institutions. So a couple different examples, uh, Edmonds School District, they built a, a code of conduct regarding the use of AI in the classroom. So, so it's not that something that they, they should block in the district, but they're establishing parameters of how students can engage with AI. And I've been seeing something out there, a bunch of comments out there about how we can use it in elementary school, how we can use it in middle and high school, university. Um, and there's certainly pushback saying we shouldn't use it at all. As Chris just said, like the, the ban of students use of AI for students under, eight, uh, under 18. So, so this idea of a code of conduct is one approach. Um, and Chris Bailey, who was the tech director there, was saying that that there may be policies and procedures later on, but first they're establishing codes of conduct. Uh, another one from Peninsula School District. This is a this is a, a teach teacher level policy. So like encouraging students and learners to use AI tools such as uh, TBT, uh, Bard, Midjourney, etc. I, I love the 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 individuals bullet points is that effort matters. Don't blindly trust AI. I think all of us have probably experienced the hallucination effect uh, on chat GPT and when it starts creating crazy answers. Uh, I, I heard this morning, I was listening to a podcast and said that the more that chat GPT 3.5 gets used, which is the main UX that people are using, actually the dumber it's getting in terms of the sophistication of its responses. 
Uh, so, so be, because of all the input that's going into it. And I hadn't really thought about that before that it wouldn't, it's not a static thing. It's learning, it's growing and developing. And it's actually in this particular author's viewpoint is not getting uh, smarter along the way. Uh, remember to acknowledge we've used AI and use AI thoughtfully. It's not always the right tool for the right, for the job. Um, Nate, yep. I, I just posted the, the link to that peninsula is uh, Gig Harbor right around the corner from us. Um, there's a really beautiful preamble to this. This is just the tail end of the advice for teachers, but there's a really beautiful opening um, dialogue uh, rooted in um, universal design principles where they lay out what's happening and what the opportunity is and some of the risk. And so I think this is a, is a, is a really a, a thoughtful response. It's worth looking at the entire um at the entire link. And the same is true for, the next slide is from UNC. Um, the UNC principles are um, also part of a, a really thoughtful um, policy dialogue. And then they distill it down to these six principles that I think are really thoughtful. Um, what I most appreciated about this one that I hadn't seen other in other places is they're reminding students that you're 100% responsible for your final product, that you can use um, uh, Gen AI when and where it's useful with disclosure. But remember, it's still your product. You are responsible for the quality of the product. You're responsible for the references in the uh, product that you can't blame uh, Gen AI for uh, for faulty sources that you still have the responsibility for the for the final product. So I thought this is really super guidance. I, I think there's probably 20 universities that have issued uh, thoughtful campus wide guidance, and this one's really my favorite. Yeah, thanks, Tom. And I love Chris. If you're willing to just jump off mute for a second, um, Chris, who put together the Peninsula one, is is online and here today, and um, love to hear just uh, was that an individual work product that you're now testing out or are was it a group process or how did you create that? Um, so last January, we brought together, um, we started bringing together teachers to work through what we're going to do because we were, you know, we start, we realized we needed to get in front of English teachers right away. Um, and so we had what we called an action research team that worked. Um, we pulled them out of classrooms three or four times last spring to have them come together and explore AI. Um, a lot of that work that we did um, and a lot of the stuff that's in our policy, you'll also notice on that link that Tom posted, there are citations. So you can see the actual conversations that were had with ChatGPT to generate that policy and how it was done. Um, so yes, I... I love this. You've done this in writing and, and in podcasts and your video to your teachers. But the, the question, did you write this? Right. You're yep. super thoughtful. About, hey, I co-constructed this. I use Grammarly. I use ChatGPT. Yep. That, that's the new mindset that I use smart tools to create quality products. So I just love how you've expressed that. Yep. So. Yeah, appreciate that, Chris, and appreciate you sharing. And uh, reach out to Chris, certainly, if you have um, other questions, because Hey, if you were thinking about this in January, you were uh, in the, the front end of the early adopters. So, so kudos, kudos. 
Um, I, just a, a, another question that we've been mulling over is where is this showing up in schools of ed? Uh, and I think there's some school of ed folks on, but just thinking about how is AI going to be introduced and um, put into sort of the, the ed teaching ed pedagogy and practice and curriculum. So something to be thinking about uh, for sure. Josh asked about schools of ed and Josh, I haven't seen a, a lot of great leadership coming out of GSEs yet, but uh, we, we do have to give props to Ethan Mullick from, from Wharton, um, who's just doing extraordinary work on uh, the teaching of entrepreneurship using Gen AI. And he's lighting up Substack. Um, he's on a lot of podcasts right now um, talking about how to constructively use Gen AI to push young people to do more uh, than they ever thought possible. So that I think is the best higher ed example that I've seen. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I appreciate that. And just to, to finish up this section, just if you're in a district or, or a school that is currently still banned, uh, where you can't use it, just know that as we saw NYC in May uh, revert after a, a holistic ban is that everyone is going to move in this direction. So it, it's likely that this is going to change. So uh, to hang on and it will happen. So we're going to talk a little bit about what does this mean for careers? What does this mean for pathways? Uh, and then we'll finish out with some leadership implications in the last 15 minutes here. So Tom, um, how might an AI world change about how you think about pathways? That's the question where the essential question we're dealing with. So Tom, talk to us about that. Well, I, I think there's pretty fundamental considerations here. Um, one, because it, it should change how we think about the difference that young people want to make in the world. So it starts with um, the the direction for a pathway or the, uh, the the sort of career direction that a student may want to take. Two, it I think it changes the the sort of guidance systems that we want uh, to equip students with, so that they're walking alongside a, both a thoughtful advisor and a thoughtful algorithm that's helping them make good um, what's next decisions. Um, three, I think it brings up a, a set of challenges for how we help um, schools create um, new pathways or update pathways so that they um, in, incorporate uh, generative AI um, and focus on areas of, uh, of emerging technology where young people want to make a difference. So We've included a couple examples here, um, one from Spark NC, which is a collaborative of 15 school districts in North Carolina, including some very small remote districts that are trying to work together to stand up new pathways in um, eight areas of, uh, of high tech. And I, I love this collaborative approach to doing a hard thing uh, to stand up these new pathways in a modular way, in a collaborative way, where some of the units are teacher taught, some are teacher at a distance, some are async um, experience, and they all stack. Each of these schools has added uh, a Spark NC resource room uh, that often has uh, community expertise in it and uh, has access to lots of learning partners and learning options. So. Great collaborative um, example of, of building new pathways using uh, AI tools. The point is this is gonna remake all of our jobs to some extent. It, this, this, 
This is one that uh, Gen AI is really coming after white collar jobs in, in particular. And um, so I think the important thing for us all to remember is that um, all of us are, are going to be using smart tools to automate parts of our tasks that we all need to begin to think of ourselves as, as automated, uh, augmented professionals. Um, so this this is affecting everybody, and and as a result, it affects every pathway that we help young people create. And and it really goes back to like how are we developing AI aptitude in in young people? And so um, it, it it is what are those, and how do they roll into outcomes that we're expecting? Uh, so this idea I put in the the bottom here, I put in the chat as well, is augmented intelligence rather than artificial intelligence. Is that is that the more we think about it, augmenting our own intelligence and then uh, allowing it as I think John had, had a good point in chat, just this idea of like that, that generative that uh, that that generative AI uh, may help teachers embrace more and unAIable assessments. And I would even I would posit that to say even broader than that is what are the things that are uniquely human that we need to develop more and more while we are being augmented by AI? And so there's that that piece of Microsoft suggesting judgment, evaluation, bias detection, flexibility, emotional quotients, et cetera. Um, all those things are going to be more and more important as we become more and more augmented by uh, generative AI worlds. Tom, anything you want to add on that? Uh, so I love the, the chat. Um, it, it's interesting that something called artificial intelligence is really, and somewhat ironically, pushing us towards more real-world learning and real-world assessment. Um, thanks for that comment, Josh. Um, thanks, Chris. Thanks, Mark. Uh, you guys are all on, on that same wavelength of this really pushes us towards more real world learning, more experiential learning, building more um, content expertise in in sectors of, uh, of interest and more demonstrations, real world demonstrations of learning. Yeah, and John, I might, John, if you'll come off chat, John Nash, for just one second and just um, unpack your question a little bit more because I think we got at it, but I think you're asking something specifically about um, assessments in specific, public demonstrations of learning. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. I think uh, part of the irony of the penetration of generative AI into uh, education is it's going to, well, <clears throat> it's going to wake up uh, a little bit those that have not moved towards thinking about good uh, contextually uh, embedded assessments that allow students to really show what they learned, how they learned it, defending their learning. And so, for instance, public demonstrations of learning or other kinds of uh, project-based work that really uh, is uniquely human, as you're saying, sort of this augmented intelligence, this human intelligence. And so, um, and I just, I was just about to put it in the chat. So I think Brandeis Marshall, I can put a link. Uh, she's the author of Data Conscience, wrote a really nice piece on Medium about the things that are unaiable. And it's just three simple things, which is contextual awareness, conflict resolution, and critical thinking. And when you think about those three things, they really encompass a lot of the things we want students to be able to demonstrate and can do. And so I think that's a lovely way to say, how can AI help us get to that point where then the students demonstrate that on their own? Yeah, I love that because we're, we're all wrestling with what are those things that are uniquely human and why are those becoming more and more important? So let's continue on here. 
Um, I think we talked a little bit about this, uh, but just uh, Tom, will you talk a little bit about the sort of the experience gap uh, and how that's going to show up um, and, and be impacted by AI? Yeah, this is so interesting. I I came back to this idea yesterday that I think Ethan said this on uh, Reed Hoffman's Possibility podcast that that experience and expertise actually matter more than ever if we want learners to be real-time designers and to have the digital discernment to know when and how to do prompt engineering, to curate, to edit, um, that it actually requires more expertise, not less. Number two, what's happening, we saw some evidence of it with things like Project Leo, people are building apps on top of LLMs in sectors. And so you have Bloomberg uh, GPT, which is a finance app. It's of most use to experts in finance that actually know um, the, the, the uh, context well and can well um, construct a series of, uh, of prompts. And so our friend Ryan Craig at Achieve Partners is really standing up apprenticeships in the higher train deploy sector, really believes that there's gonna be a premium on experience and that is more important than ever for young people to beginning in secondary and then post-secondary to spend time in real world learning environments to begin to appreciate the nuance and complexity of, um, of particular sectors. So I think real world learning now more than ever for, for all of these reasons. Well, we're coming to a close here. I wanted to just finish out with just a couple le leadership implications. All of you are leaders in some way in your fields and your schools and orgs uh, or in your thinking. And so I think some of the things that, that have emerged for us is, is really leaning in and hosting the conversation. So having conversations like we're doing here at the local level in your organization, uh, ask the similar questions, ask new questions that are relevant to your organization. Uh, what are the learning goals, the new learning goals and the new learning models in, in education that we need to think about and can be enhanced? We've talked a lot about that today. Uh, assessment and grading practices. And where are all the places we can make and help young people achieve the goals and live the lives that they want? Not just replicate the things that make our lives easier as adults, but really focus on students, students, students. Um, update use agreements. So from the policy side is uh, consistent disclosure when people are using it, making sure they are articulating that they are using it. And, and allow teacher teams flexibility to experiment and think about this. Uh, this is, uh, it's an emerging landscape and we, we learn when we give flexibility and freedoms to the system rather than constraining the system. I think Tom talked a little bit about improved learner signaling. So what are the things that, how, what do we need to develop in learners in terms of AI proficiency? And uh, Spark NC is an example of running an AI course. We're seeing more and more of it showing up in secondary schools, but how does it show up K-12? How does it show up in post-secondary? How do we make sure that everybody has proficiency in understanding this augmented intelligence world? Uh, and then how can those show up in credentialing and learner records? We didn't show that, talk about that a lot today, but I think that's important. And then finally, just creating a culture of possibility. So augmented and amplified intelligence that we are in a permanent beta state right now. We're learning so, so much, uh, just like AI and, and these generative models are learning so, so much. Uh, so how do we create the appropriate guardrails but the appropriate space for possibility and experimentation as well. Um, Want to wrap with just thank you, gratitude for all of you giving 60 minutes of your valuable time to this, I think, really important work. And I, while while sometimes I 
I have some pessimism around, uh-oh, can humans handle this type of thing? Uh, I have optimism when I think deeply about how this can really help learners have a more personalized, more connected, more contextualized experience while contributing to community, all augmented by um, generative AI type tools. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much. 